Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating, and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical, and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome to today's podcast, where I'm very excited to share with you all a very special guest. Angelique Cluck holds a bachelor's degree in exercise physiology and a master's in nutrition and dietetics. She is an accredited sports dietitian with a specialty in elite physique transformations and has worked directly with celebrity transformations and many athletes entering into the sports of CrossFit, natural bodybuilding, bikini contests and other sports for over 10 years. Angie is involved extensively in meal plan development, sports nutrition presentations, and practical performance cooking workshops for numerous fitness centers and studios, as well as contributing to the development of the Sports Dietitians Australia Masterclass in Physique Management and Assessment, as well as educating her sports dietetic peers on fat loss science and guest lecturing for her Master's Nutrition and Exercise Science students. Angie sits on the advisory board of the University of Queensland's exercise science programs and she is the founder and director of the private sports nutrition practice iPerformance Nutrition, which sits in her co-owned functional training facility Perform360 in Brisbane, Australia. Together with myself, Angie and I have created our latest venture in the online nutrition and training space with our brilliant female-only 12-week program Love Living Lean. And finally, but perhaps most importantly, Angie is also an active mum of two boys and loves whole food nutrition, how this translates into performance and seeing others achieve the ripple effect of great health. I cannot wait to bring you guys her wealth of knowledge in today's podcast titled The Truth About Fat Loss, Common Mistakes and Magical Unicorns. We had such a great chat today that we had to break this podcast into two episodes. So today's podcast will just be our chat together and the next podcast will be the Q&A with Angie with questions that our listeners have sent in and finally a case-based scenario that I've given Angie so that she can showcase her expertise to you all. I really hope that you enjoy this podcast today. So let's jump straight in. Welcome, Angie, to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here. You truly are one of the best experts I know in terms of the fat loss and body composition field. Um, welcome, Angelique Clark, a special sports dietitian. Thank you so much, Leanne. It's actually really exciting to be here. So, And you're very kind. Thank you. <laughs> I am so excited. We have so many questions to have a chat about today. But the first thing that I really wanted to, I guess, chat to you about was the difference in what we call weight loss or scale weight and true fat loss. So a lot of people get very confused around when I talk about this concept of fat loss versus what weight loss is. Can you provide a little bit more information to our listeners around that today? Oh, absolutely. What a great question to open with. I think there's a very big distinction that we need to clarify between what you see on the scale and assuming that that is actually entirely body fat that you're losing. Mm. Now, it all comes down to how often you're weighing in. Mm-hmm. So I talk about an acute change on the scales, but then I talk about a chronic change on the scale. Now, fat loss in itself needs time. 
probably more time than we give it credit for. Mm -hmm. um, people are very much really about the quick fix. They want to see a, a change really quickly. Um, and they assume that the scales are going to tell them that that's exactly happening when in actual fact, it's not the case. Mm -hmm. So I talk about an acute weight loss being, you know, probably around about seven days. So within seven days, if you were to weigh yourself from a Monday morning right through to a Sunday morning, mm -hmm. um, that is still an acute weight loss change. So you can't assume that whatever the difference is with that scale weight difference would actually be fat loss. Mm -hmm. I would actually say four weeks is the only time where I consider true fat loss change. So mm -hmm. when I'm looking at a difference of a scale weight between week one Monday and week four Monday, mm. and you're consistently doing the behaviors that we've discussed about trying to get some body fat off, um, that's the only time I can consider that that's a true fat loss change. So if you're weighing yourself Monday, first thing in the morning, and then Monday afternoon or night, you're going to see a difference in that scale. Mm. But that is not body fat change. That is simply fluid that you've drank during the day, the choices of foods that you've made during the day, possibly if you have a really high water content diet, like lots of fruit and vegetables, lots of fiber, mm -hmm. you're going to see an increase. Of course you are, because they're the things that you're putting into your body. So it, you cannot assume that your weight, as it fluctuates between day to day when you weigh yourself monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday <laughs> saturday sunday yeah <laughs> you know people do we know that you do they that do, guys yeah. um that that's actually telling you what your body fat stores are doing it's not it just doesn't have enough time to indicate a true change mm. and even your training like the type of training that you can do can have an influence on your weight as well can't it 100 percent. so i would tell people to weigh themselves if i'm looking at hydration i would tell themselves tell them to weigh themselves just before their exercise session um, so get up of a morning go to the toilet pretty raw clothing so no shoes on the scale weight jump on see what the weight is go and do your training session so you might be outwards out there for about you know an hour you come back and maybe you've dropped a kilo and a half on the scales now that is not body fat mm. that is simply because you've sweated so depending on the type and the style or the conditions that you do the exercise session in, you will actually manipulate your body fluid compartments. So that difference is then, of course, dependent on the type of training that you did. Mm, exactly. So what would your recommendation be if somebody's goal was to drop some body fat? How often would you sort of recommend that they're sort of using the scales to weigh in? I personally am not the biggest fan of the scale weight, but it is just a really simple measure to track your progress a little bit. I always say to ladies, please do not weigh yourself daily. As we know, the scales can fluctuate, you know, a kilo or two per day, purely yeah. from hydration, diet, training, all those sorts of things. Do you have like a general recommendation you say to your clients in terms of measuring or or monitoring body fat loss i do i do and i do it in the sense of if they understand why they're doing those measures then they can understand and evaluate it in a little bit more of a professional manner with my guidance and i say to my clients weigh in first thing on a monday mm. and on a friday and I say that because, number one, when I say weigh in first thing, exactly like how I would, as I described with my um, hydration athlete, I'd get them to get up of a morning, go to the toilet with minimal clothing, stand on the scales, make sure those scales are actually on a hard surface, mm -hmm. not carpet, because that absorbs weight. So you will get a true indication of what your body weight is. Now, I say Mondays and Fridays because 
generally the weekends are a little bit different to our working week. Mm-hmm. So I like people to see the trend about what can happen over the course of a weekend. Um, but I get them to do that weekly. So Monday and Friday, wait weekly for four weeks. Okay. And then I'll go back and say, okay, take your Friday morning wait from week one mm-hmm. and then look at the difference between your Friday morning wait in week four. And so that will give us an indication of what progression that you're heading in when it comes to fat loss. Because eventually if you want to be burning fat, eventually the scales will come down. It's just Mm. how often that you're weighing in to determine how much fat you're losing over a period of time. And because we're females, we generally work on a cyclic hormonal Mm. pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, I always say around about four weeks enough for us to see a true change depending on whether your behaviours are consistent. Sure. So even when you're getting um, your clients to weigh themselves Monday and Friday, that's not to sort of see true fat loss. That's purely just to show them that their body is influenced and their weight is influenced by so many other things. Um, And it's not sort of looking for that indication of fat loss within five or six days. You're really looking over that period of about four weeks' time. A hundred percent. And the real difference and the, the thing that they do end up becoming really aware of is that even though their Monday weight might be higher than their Friday weight. Mm -hmm. By the time the end of the week comes back down to Friday, they can see that it actually comes back down. Mm. Because we typically eat and drink a few things over the weekend that we might not have sort of Monday to Friday. We tend to have maybe a meal out or have a glass of wine or something like that, which can influence our Monday weight a little bit. A hundred percent. And the key things that will do that, that Mm. will weigh you heavier, Mm -hmm. are sodium or salt. Mm -hmm. So highly sort of processed foods or maybe foods that are a little bit different, going out for meals and, you know, obviously restaurants putting in a little bit more seasoning than what we normally do Mm -hmm. um the other thing is carbohydrates so if you abstain from having lots of carbohydrates during the week and then you go out on a weekend you have a little bit more carbohydrate than you would normally you will actually weigh heavier so Mm. we know that one gram of carbohydrate stores with three grams worth of water so if you've had high salt high carb and high fluid over the course of a weekend you will definitely weigh more on the Monday. And I think that's such an important point to note, Angie, because so many of my clients come to me and they say, I can't eat carbohydrates. I automatically gain weight, but just storing a little bit of extra glucose. So for, as Angie said, every gram of carbohydrate you eat stores about three grams of um, glucose. And so that yeah. will automatically, yeah. of water, sorry, yeah. that will automatically make your weight on the scale appear a little bit higher, but that's not true. It's not like it's fat gain. I think that's really important to understand guys is that just looking for those differences in your fluid shifts and the types of foods that you eat can influence your scale weight as well. So we don't like to get too hung up on the scale, but that was a really great, um, I guess, introduction to fat loss science. As I said, guys, Angie is 100% the expert in this area. So I've got so many other questions for you. And probably my biggest other thing that I really wanted to ask you was when clients come into your clinic, Angie, and they say, I really want to lose some fat loss and I really want to get lean. What's the biggest thing that you see most of your clients doing wrong or going wrong? Yes, I'm going to start. I'm going to pull it back a notch um, because there's many things (laughs) to list. Um, But the first of which I think they don't consider the intent behind the reason as to why they want to lose that body Mm. fat. So we spend a lot of time exploring that, Mm -hmm. probably a little bit more than what they expect because I think everyone's expectation is by the time they've got to a dietitian, they've pretty much tried every single diet Mm. and none of it's worked um, or it's worked for a little bit and then they've gotten back to square one. Um, So they're really looking for that 
that professional guidance now and it's something that I have to say I take it back a notch I actually get them to re-evaluate the reasons as to why that would be so and why it is that they haven't actually achieved it to date and once we start to uncompact that um, then it becomes a case of us going all right well what didn't work for you and why haven't you got there just yet mm. and that's a really cool question to, uh, to ask because I think the answer comes from the ownership of them going oh okay well yeah, I, I pretty much just didn't keep it up for long enough. Mm-hmm. And that's really it. That is mm. why most diets fail. The biggest thing that you are doing wrong is that you're not being consistent with it. Mm. And, and is, so, is it because it wasn't sustainable to begin with? 100%. Yeah. 100%, yeah. yeah. So it's too severe a restriction or it's cutting out a complete food group entirely, possibly the foods that they absolutely love to eat. Mm. Um, but, you know, they've kind of demonized or whatever diet that they're following has demonized one thing or another. Um, they've put it on a bad list and then we haven't even gone into the psychological aspect of how that makes them feel when they sort of fall off the bandwagon or step outside the diet guideline Mm. um, you know you get condemned for doing so so then that sets up a a really a a kind of terrible um, environment where they feel defeated they feel guilty um, and then they sort of get back to square one or look for another diet that might suit Mm. them a little bit better but same goes it's just too restrictive they Mm -hmm. cut too much out and they can't sustain it so Mm. they don't lose the weight that they wanted to so the biggest thing that you see going wrong with your clients when they come into your clinic is that they're just being far too restrictive and they're trying to lose the weight far too quickly 100 is that right yeah and they also are following a diet somebody else has told them whereas Mm. i tend to flip it around and i say well what do you enjoy eating Mm -hmm. so they're very often (laughs) they're a bit surprised to to hear me say that i said well what do you like to eat let's Mm. build a meal plan from that so i get them involved in the process Mm -hmm. and we build a meal plan together Mm -hmm. and it's something they actually love to eat Exactly. And I think it's so surprising, I think for females in particular, that they learn that they can eat bread or they can eat pasta and actually still lose weight as well. I think we just demonize carbohydrates in general, whereas people just don't understand, um, I guess, the impact of that on their training and their body and that sort of thing as well. So we've touched on this, um, I guess, this concept of people wanting to lose weight really quickly. You know, we all want the quick fix, but we know that there's actually research and evidence to prove that losing weight really quickly can actually be a bad thing. So can you tell me a little bit more about this, Ange? Yeah, I like to describe this as I describe a Nike swoosh effect. So mm. everyone knows the, the, the logo, the icon of the Nike tick. Um, and this is what generally happens with fat loss um, initially. So everyone gets really excited. They might have an event that's coming up. They might have a special birthday and they go, right, you know what? I'm really motivated. I'm not really liking myself at the moment. So possibly I'm going to go and start a diet. And they get really gung-ho, they go in really hard and fast, and they lose weight really quickly. So mm. this is the first sort of downwards, you know, trend um, with, with weight loss in the Nike swoosh tick effect. But then, of course, because that was too restrictive, um, you know, it's it was too hard to maintain. They got tired, they got grumpy, they became miserable, they became a liability. They, you know, socially isolated themselves, mm. all their friends hated them, um, and they were grumpy. <laughs> and then they tended to find that they couldn't keep it up. So slowly but surely, you start to see that sort of increase back up on the scale, back to where they started at. And then because they've dropped it really quickly, and this is the real key, the quicker that you drop it, the quicker you're likely to put it on, but then overshoot your starting point. Mm. So you'll end up heavier than what you started the diet in in the first place. Mm. And this is all done by a a process we call adaptive thermogenesis. Mm -hmm. It's a really fancy scientific term to describe the body processes of what happens when you severely restrict yourself. So Mm -hmm. 
there's only two things that we have control over when it comes to the energy balance equation. People often go, okay, well, if you want to lose weight, you just got to stop eating, right? Or you just exercise more. So we have control over those two factors. We can say no to putting food in our bodies and we can also increase our exercise. Most of the time we do both when we're gung-ho and we're going into these things with lots of motivation. But after a while, if you continue to do that, mm -hmm. you start working against your body. So we need food to live. You know, we need to eat. We need to function. We need to take care of all our bodily processes first from an mm. energy standpoint. And then we need to support our bodies with the training that we're asking it to do. Mm -hmm. So what happens when we don't provide enough fuel to support those two things is that things start to go a bit haywire. So in sport, we see this a lot. Um, it's called now, the, the theory, the term is now called um, REDS, so mm -hmm. Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. Sure. It's where you've exceeded your energy expenditure, you haven't given yourself enough food um, to support the training difference, mm -hmm. and you create a bit of a disparity that then starts to see a few signs and symptoms happen within your body. Mm -hmm. Now for females, that's maybe losing your menstrual cycle, mm -hmm. so not getting that as regularly um, as possible, but also it could increase your injury risk, so you might be getting sick more often, you might be getting tired more often, you even find that physiologically your coordination's now suffering. Mm. Um, and so all these other factors are just your body basically slowing down at a cellular level. So mm. it's saying, hold the fort. I need to stop a few different processes from happening because I just don't have enough energy to function really well for what I need to do mm. every day. And the most extreme situation of that is this Redis syndrome where there's, yeah. we have this um, energy deficiency where people are overtraining and under eating. So their body just sort of shuts yeah. down the important processes that it needs to do. Yeah. But I guess at a really simple level when people are really just wanting to lose weight really quickly and really really um you know do it in the fastest possible way we have this concept of um adaptive thermogenesis which we now know as you've described is the body doing everything it can to sort of try to put you back to where it started so the body wants to maintain the state of homeostasis where it it wants to it wants to go back to where it was it was comfortable it yeah. liked where it was it doesn't want you to lose weight so it does everything in its power to take you back to where you originally started. And what are the two big features of adaptive thermogenesis? It's around our, our appetite and um, our movement levels, isn't it? 100%, yep. So no one likes to starve, basically. <laughs> um, and that's how I can put it in a nutshell. It's not fun. It's not fun to diet in any which way or form. When we do it on an extreme level, what happens is two things. So there's a couple of things that dictate how much energy our body is expending. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, what happens is our entire system will slow us down. So you might find that you're just generally more tired. You're sleeping in a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You're spending longer on the couch. You might be having afternoon naps that you ordinarily wouldn't have had. You don't walk up the stairs with as much vigor or as much energy as you would normally have. And slowly but surely, this sort of incidental activity actually reduces. So you might not be too aware of it, but I'm sure everyone can think of a time if they've not had enough food, they don't function optimally. So everything just slows down. And everything so seems harder, doesn't it? Everything seems harder. Um, it takes us longer to do stuff as well, you mm. know, from a concentration perspective. So definitely, that is one thing that I find often that people just forget about. And then, of course, that reduces their total overall energy expenditure because they're slowing down in their day-to-day -day lives. They might still be hitting the gym and doing their sessions, mm. but they're not doing them with as much intensity or as much vigor as what they would normally be doing had they fueled that exercise session. Mm. So that's a big difference there. 
um, adaptive thermogenesis. So we've talked about the energy expenditure and then of course, what's happening on the inside. So we don't necessarily see that, but once again, like I said, the sign, one of the signs and symptoms um, is our body just telling us that we're always hungry all the mm. time. So this is where the, the hormones, the hunger and the satiety hormones, leptin and ghrelin, mm -hmm. play a bit of a havoc system because if you're not giving yourself food all the time, then you're constantly going to feel empty. You're not going to get the physical sensation of your stomach expanding, um, feeling satisfied. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're constantly in this state of, I really want food all the time and it consumes you. So it's not a great place to be in at all. Mm, exactly. And I always say to my clients, like losing weight is actually quite easy to do, but keeping it off is the hardest part. Yeah. And really in the last few years, we've known about this concept of um, adaptive thermogenesis and you've explained why our um, incidental activity goes down. So what we call our NEAT, our non-exercise activity thermogenesis actually reduces so sure we might be hitting the gym harder but all our little day-to-day -day activities and movements are reduced which means that our body's expending less energy and our hunger drives up it goes through the roof and as you're saying that quicker and the faster we lose the weight the harder we're going to rebound or the harder these um this adaptive thermogenesis process is going to be on our body yeah so do you have any tips for our listeners today about how to sort of minimize that or mitigate that like we know that losing weight slower is obviously going to be better is that correct Yes, and that is supported by the research now as well. Mm. So we've actually looked at studies in a trained athletic population. And these are people that are generally lean and fit to start with, but they want to take it another level. They want to get leaner. They want to get fitter. They want to get stronger. Um, and possibly this might be looking at the athletes that lead into the elite um, end of the spectrum, which is bodybuilding, figure sculpting, um, body, you know, physique modeling and things like that. Mm. Um, so these guys are extremely muscular, but they want to get leaner. So my whole job with these sort of athletes, these clients is to mitigate the the effects of adaptive thermogenesis mm -hmm. and i do a few different things i'm gonna give you all my secrets now aren't I? <laughs> um so, <Listen> guys. <laughs> so the first of which um is uh, it's a really rude shock in reevaluating the rate of fat loss mm. so i pull that back quite significantly um the research supports anywhere between sort of 0.5 to 1 percent of your current body weight loss per week and that's not a lot is it it's not a lot and for females i would definitely err on the lower side of that so say for instance you're 70 kilos mm -hmm. um 0.5 of a percent of your current body weight would be looking at no more than 350 grams of body fat loss per week on the scales so, and that you know, wouldn't even reflect on most people's scales it week to week exactly mm. and you wouldn't see that happen linearly as well so that's mm. not going to be exact every single week remember that four week period that we spoke about mm. so that's an average over four weeks that you want to be losing around about 300 grams of fat loss mm. per week not a lot that's Everyone's... just over a kilo isn't yep. it in yep. a month in one month. in one month and people yep. sort of they they weigh themselves monday they're like oh i've been so perfect all week jump on the scales on friday i feel so defeated because they haven't seen it move or they haven't seen a big enough drop and then all the healthy eating goes out the window yep. so i think that's probably such a golden nugget that angie's given us here guys is just that it takes that long to achieve true fat loss Yes. Have you got any more tips for us in terms of trying to mitigate that adaptive thermogenesis process yeah. besides just taking your time to lose the weight, the yeah. true weight? Yes, and that, as it reflects in terms of the nutrition that we're prescribing is mm -hmm. that it's a smaller deficit. Mm. So rather than going, I'm knocking out 500 calories, I'm halving my energy intake for the day. I'm going to 1,200 calories. Yes, yes, exactly. We, we basically maybe take... 
150 or 200 calories out and Mm. it doesn't actually seem like much so on observation what you're actually eating isn't actually too dissimilar from what you're currently doing anyway Mm. so the change is less which means less um, adaptive thermogenesis Mm. Um, and so for you as well psychologically it's not actually too dissimilar from what you're currently doing but it's still enough to make that change beneficial at the end of the month so once you know once you sort of look and account for what that number is how much you're willing to lose based on their current body weight based on their body composition we'll talk about that um but i tend to err on the side of only reducing a small amount and then incrementally still then reducing that as the weeks go on as well Mm. the other thing is when you're taking food out we need to also look at what we're replacing so i really have a big focus on high fiber foods Mm. um Foods that are really quite nutrient dense, because mm-hmm. if I'm going to take out energy, I need to make sure that their nutrients are still there. Exactly. So I'm handpicking foods that are beautiful in color, high in fiber, mm. make them feel really full, high whole satiety, food whole food focused. Mm. Um, the least of which I think supplements, because I think people think you have to be on supplements to see fat loss. You mm. don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably one of the last things I look at when everything else is is done well and correctly. Um, so, yeah, so really high bulking types of foods. That high I'm bulking choosing. meals high volume Mm. meals um and consistent little drip feeds of protein through the day that's another big key factor that i think most people don't do well when they end up wanting to be on a campaign of losing body fat sustainably Mm. they don't have enough protein Mm -hmm. so i make sure that most of their meals have contained a minimum of 20 grams of protein Mm. more is not better but drip feeding that little amount over Mm. the course of the day is really important and the other key factor, and this is giving away all my gold now, <laughs> they have to be doing resistance training. Yes. Yes. You have so to get important. in the gym. It is yep. so important yep. because then that's going to the stimulation of your muscles is going to ensure that you don't lose muscle over the course of time, which then ends up dropping your metabolic rate. Mm. So we have to keep that muscle integrity there. And that's the entire purpose of my job is to make sure that they are getting leaner. But at the same time, they're actually maintaining, maintaining mm, their so muscle important. mass. Yeah, because a lot of people, they'll lose weight and people come to me and they're like, oh, I've lost three, four, five kilos in a week. I'm like, oh, God, like how much of that is water? How much of that is muscle? And mm-hmm. how much of that is actually true fat loss? So you've heard Ange say this, guys. Over the course of a month, it might only be a kilo, but if that is true fat loss. And that is from the most minimal dietary, um, I guess, cancellations or yeah. changes yeah. possible. That is the best way. So Angie and I both have this philosophy that you should never die. It should be a lifestyle. And as Angie mentioned, it should be focused around whole foods. We don't have to cut out entire food groups. We don't have to yeah. give up our favorite foods. Talk to me, Angie, a little bit more about, uh, you know, people think about cheat days how do you feel about them or just you know doing really healthy eating monday to friday and then sort of blowing out on the weekend i'm not a big fan of that like i feel like most people don't actually achieve their goals because of they're so strict during the week and they just go completely off track on the weekend so it's this concept of diet breaks um which has actually been shown by the research to again help to mitigate this adaptive thermogenesis Mm. so can you tell our listeners a little bit more about diet breaks and your sort of opinions or feelings around that yeah so this is something that was done anecdotally in practice that we know was beneficial but now we're starting to have a look at some of the research to really look at this in an athletic population Um, once again like i said we're not talking about an obese or a really overweight population we're just talking about maybe the average person with an average body weight um, that's normal and wanting to get a little bit leaner so um 
it does definitely help when we're trying to have a consistent deficit. So we mentioned the smaller deficit, the better, but we want to be able to have that maintain over a longer period of time. Cause just think most people that fail on these sorts of things don't actually maintain that deficit. Mm. It's very hard though. If you keep pulling out, pulling out, pulling out to then get to a point where you're like, okay, now my body is actually shutting down because I'm actually eating less food. And that's what we have to do at the end of the day to lose body fat or ex- like exercise to burn more um, calories. But the the concept of diet breaks is much better than a cheat meal or a cheat day um, because psychologically it works so much better. Mm. So when I talk about diet breaks, it's almost like you needed to be doing this for a period of that, like I said, maybe a minimum of four weeks in that deficit and then maybe take a week off depending on the client, maybe upwards of maybe three days, maybe up to seven days. Mm. You know, that's all sort of worked out individually um, depending on, you know, their time frame as well what they're working towards but for seven days we then bring them back up to what their maintenance calories would be and this Mm -hmm. is something that i've figured out you know with them over a course of trial and error um as to what that would be based on their current training volume and their body weight and those sorts of things as well a few different calculations so we get them to then just to eat at maintenance now the fact of doing that won't actually help you put on any any extra body fat Mm. because you're still controlling how much you're consuming. It's just more, you're eating more food than what you're normally eating in the deficit, but it's at a maintenance level. It's not overshooting your calorie intake. And Mm. that's unfortunately what happens with your cheat weekends Mm. is that you go hell for leather. You don't record, you don't monitor, you basically have the you know, a, a relaxation mindset mm-hmm. that's a little bit too relaxed. Mm. And then what effectively you ha- actually happens is that you're going to end up eating more energy than you've put yourself from a deficit of five days. Um, you're going to counteract that within two days of eating whatever the hell you want. Mm. So I would say, and very much I would go in with being quite, you know, I'm predicting the right thing here. Um, you've actually not, your deficit during the week has been too much mm. that you're getting to the weekends where you feel like you need to blow over that much, mm. you know? So you've got to pull back your that deficit. Restrictive. Exactly. You've got to pull back your deficit. It's mm. just too much. Um, so I don't like the name of it. I don't like the concept behind it. Mm. I know it's a term that's widely used in the fitness industry. I know people know what we're talking about, mm. um, but I just don't feel like we should view food as being on it or off it. It then needs to be room and allowance for enjoyment with food and our attitude towards that changes when we're not so restrictive. Exactly. And I really love how you talk about this concept because as you guys know, I've worked with Ange before to achieve some body composition goals and she's always, and I've always believed in whole foods first. So I've never felt restrictive. Um, even when I'm eating during the week, it's always like, if I feel like a bit of chocolate, that's totally fine. I'm not going to eat the whole block. I'm just going to have a, a piece or two or three and eat it really slowly, mindfully, really enjoy it. And same with on the weekend, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to have a meal out, I'm really going to enjoy it. And I'm going to listen to like my hunger in fullness um, signals within my body. If I don't feel like I need to eat the entire thing, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, because I don't feel restricted and I love the foods that I'm eating, I'm not going to go out and have pizza and wine and ice cream and donuts and alcohol and all of these sorts of things because I just don't feel restricted. And I guess that's something that Angie does so well with her clients is that she maintains this this concept of lifelong healthy eating where it doesn't sort of feel or look like a diet. We don't cut out all these food groups. We don't demonize things like pasta or rice or breads. Um, Would you say that that's probably 
again, one of the big things that you see with people who come to you who end up blowing out these diets, I guess it comes back to that Nike swoosh effect you were talking about in the beginning. Do you feel like these cheat days or cheat weekends that people do contribute to that Nike swoosh effect of regaining the weight that they've lost over time? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that cascade of, of physiological responses, once you open the floodgate to that, that is dangerous. And I see it a lot with um, competitors who have you know, abstained and, and done long, long dieting periods. Mm, and then really once, restrictive. Really restrictive. And once that competition is over, mm. wow, like these guys upwards of putting on six kilos in a week, yeah. you know, and just completely blowing themselves out. And like I said, then the body image dysmorphia that comes from that is really difficult mm. and, and we have to sort of help them through that process. Yeah, yeah. And this is a really funny thing and, you know, we talk about refeeds. Mm. So people go and reverse dieting. So after a competition, after a period of severe restriction, um, most competitors want to reverse diet out of that, which mm. is a really good concept to do. But mm-hmm. how the heck do you do that when you've gone on a bender for a week mm. after following a severe restriction? you've kind of opened up that floodgate and unfortunately it's it's quite hard to crawl yourself back from there. Mm. So, you know, we almost have to start from scratch. We go, okay, let's just take a breather. Let's take a break. Let's reevaluate our goals and where we want to be. Because remember that at the pointy end of body composition change, anything probably under 14% body fat for females is unhealthy. Mm. It should be stated. So mm. you don't really want to be anything under that for a very long period of time anyway. And we have to go with the notion that health needs to come first. Always. Performance is then second. Mm-hmm. And body composition ends up being a byproduct. And that's not a cop-out to say that I'm not really focused on health behaviours. It's just saying that don't compromise your health for the sake mm-hmm. of getting lean and don't do it for a, a situation where you can only maintain it for a certain amount of time and then blow out. Because the more yo-yo diets that you do, mm. the harder it is for you to come back. The more severe that Nike And harder the is, rebound every time. Harder rebound every single yeah. time. Yeah. 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 So I think... And, and I think that you and I do this really well. We have conversations with our clients and we sort of say, at what cost does becoming lean mean to you? If you're mm. going to do it for a competition, if you're going to do, and you and me have talked about, you know, competing. I know you've done a couple and I've sort of said to you, like, maybe I'm thinking about doing one in the past. And you've always said to me, why? Like, what would that <laughs> mean why? to you? Like, what, what does a six pack mean to you? Like, are you willing to do all of these things and give up all of these things that have no social life? And I've always come back to you and gone, no, like hell no, like that does not, it's not (laughs) worth it. So I guess these are conversations that you have with your clients all the time. How do we go from, I guess, losing body fat in a healthy way without dieting? And when does that become unhealthy? When do those red flags go up for you with your clients and you sort of say to them, hold up, we're at the point where this is no longer healthy anymore. This becomes a little bit obsessive. What are some things that our listeners can recognize in this space between when does, you know, losing a bit of body fat and that's completely fine, be, become more of that unhealthy, ob- obsessive sort of thing? I guess um, this is the biggest key factor, and and I'm going to put it out there. I'm not trained in psychology. Mm -hmm. I don't diagnose eating disorders, Mm -hmm. but I can very well see the signs and symptoms of behavior changes and habits and things like that um, that would very much suggest that we need another intervention um, or another direction other than losing more body fat. Um, But I would often – it definitely comes back to um, the person, the only thing that they value their worth is – 
is related to their weight Mm. and that's a problem Mm. because then there's no other aspects of their life that they see as valuable other than that so that's when they pull all their eggs into that basket um, and that becomes so obsessive so you know that's not from a health perspective and you know losing weight doesn't make you happy we know that Mm. Um, losing more weight doesn't make you happier Um, but there is that fine line between us going okay how do we improve ourselves how do we grow as people how do we get healthier we know that the the best version of yourself is not one that's sick okay mm. you know chronic disease will indicate that yeah we could definitely lose some body fat look at the majority of our australian population they mm. are either overweight or obese mm. we know that um you know that there is a term health at every size i don't believe that that there is a physiological limitation to that that if you are overweight for your physique for your shape um for your health then that's not a very good point to be in as well by the same default, on the other end of that extreme, neither mm. is being too lean. Mm-hmm. So where's that happy medium in the middle? And I think you hit the nail on the head, Leanne, when you said, is it worth the compromise? So how far do I have to go that I'm going to have to give up something else in order to get leaner? Mm. And that's the real key um, conversation that I have with people um, is what is it worth to you to to sacrifice this to get to there? And then they need to make that decision. Is that mm. something that I want to pursue? And if I do, I do it for a short, short period of time and then I've regained my health back afterwards as well so different motivating factors different people but at the end of the day you need to really make sure that your weight is not entirely your worth Mm. and And I think that I see so many I guess social media influences online and you know there are different things like posing and lighting and, and all these sorts of things that come into play but I think you know as women growing up in this world with social media we think it's the norm to walk around with a six-pack whereas I say to my clients that's actually very unhealthy like having visible abs means that your body fat level is so low that potentially it could mess up your menstrual cycle it could lead to obsessive thoughts and behaviors and that sort of thing so how do you find that social media has impacted the clients that you work with do you think they almost have unrealistic expectations of what healthy is I mean I try to do photos on my Instagram that show me you know me with good lighting and flexing versus me with bad lighting and not flexing to show people that you don't walk around with a six-pack all day long like that's not healthy do you feel like people almost come into your clinic and with this distorted view of what health really is Oh, absolutely. And I think that's being pushed in the social media realms just because we're bombarded with it. We're saturated with it everywhere we look. Um, unfortunately, our society still values our weight over quite heavily over our success and our happiness. Mm. And really, when you ask people, does it and, and ask the people that are lean, you know, actually have a nice proper conversation with them, mm. because I can guarantee you every single one of them can say that their happiness is not dependent on what their abs are looking like mm. at any one point in time. So the biggest thing is that it makes it more accessible for people to think that it's easy to get to mm. these physiques or these figures. Mm. So when they come in, uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it really is a reality check in saying, you know what, that is a combination, like we mentioned lighting and you know all those other things mm. and posing. Mm. Genetics, massive, mm. huge yeah. genetics yeah. influence on that, mm. you know, so your body shape sometimes is not going to be somebody else's. And I think that's the real key point about Mm -hmm. redirecting them instead of looking at someone going, I want to look like them. Mm -hmm. How can we be a better version of ourselves? Exactly. And that's, that's really where we need to head in that direction without giving up Mm -hmm. our health at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
100%. Yeah, I just think social media has, it's given us so many great things, but at the same time, it's given us so many negative things at the same, at, you know, at the same and place. And smoke like, and mirrors too. Smoke yeah. and mirrors. Like it's yeah. not all truth. So don't believe everything that you read. Yeah. Don't believe everything that you see. Yeah. My biggest pet hate is abs in four weeks. Exactly. No, no one's got abs in four weeks. No. And, that, and that it's, not it. it's also now healthy. But a lot of these people forget that these influencers that you're looking at online, sometimes it's their full-time job. Like sometimes they're yeah. full-time, um, I don't know what the term is, like bikini or body you know, com- competitors. Yeah, they What's create a, a career out of it. They create yeah. a career out of it. Some of them are like professional athletes, like CrossFitters, that sort of thing. And they looked ripped and shredded. But the amount of training volume that these guys too is, yeah. it's astronomical. And that cannot be kept up by a normal person. So don't compromise your health. I think it's the biggest message mm-hmm. here, guys, to get a six pack or to get lean. Like you have to realize what you're giving up and what impact that will have on your health when we're talking about body composition. So I guess that leads me really nicely, Angie, into this point where I see this huge growing rift between like the body positive community, which I think is wonderful, but also this rift between the the weight loss community. And a lot of people say to me, like, I I feel so guilty because I want to love my body and I want to respect my body, but I also want to work on like a physical goal. What are your sort of thoughts and feelings around this? Because people sort of see that it has to be one way or the other. Like you either love your body or you want to lose weight and there's no in between and I just it frustrates me so much because I honestly believe that you can love and respect your body but also want to get fitter or get stronger or lift a little bit heavier do you have any sort of thoughts or feelings around this and why can't we have both yeah exactly (laughs) it's actually okay to have both you don't need to pick a side just like you don't need to pick a diet camp because mm. every time you choose, it's almost like if you so once a step outside of that boundary, mm. whoa, watch out, you condemned. And the biggest thing I say no to is body shaming mm. in any form. Exactly. Though. So I'm not shaming you because you've got a six pack, mm. but I'm also not shaming you because maybe you're five kilos overweight than what your BMI chart should tell you. Mm. So we, There's no right or wrong. There's is no there? right or wrong. Mm. There's no right or wrong. If you are happy and comfortable in your skin, that is the biggest key factor. Mm. If that looks like whatever it from whatever what it looks like whatever it looks like for mm. you it, it, that's really the key factor. So it exactly. doesn't really matter, but I would say you need to approach changing your health in a way that loves your body and works with it mm-hmm. as opposed to against it. Mm-hmm. The only thing I will say is I think we're too focused on weight and I think the focus should be elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So when I say, you know, you need to attain a certain weight to be healthy or to look like what you want to look like and, you know, that's a magical unicorn really. Weight exactly. is just one-dimensional as yeah. I mentioned, but it's not something that we need to focus on. What we should be focusing mm-hmm. on is not necessarily what the outcome is because that's going to happen as a byproduct anyway. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we focusing on the behaviours? The mm-hmm. stuff that we need to do that's going to help us on our journey to get there. And I think if yep. we have that intent from a self-care perspective, that it's absolutely necessary to work on your physique and your body because mm-hmm. it's about self-love. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that I would do anything other than care about myself. And that means I am exercising. Mm. I'm moving daily. From a mental perspective even or just from a de-stressing 100%. perspective. There is nothing in a pill that you can find that exercise 
won't give you. Yeah, exactly. And even healthy foods, like, you know, we can still foods. eat a donut if we want, but we will eat the majority of whole foods the majority of the time because it nourishes and it fuels our body. But there has to be boundaries. I think there's too much information out there that people are so confused they don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. So let's just bring it back, you know. And when we're looking at fat loss science or what we call body recomposition, mm. so the idea and the goal that you're trying to increase muscle and lose body fat at the same time, mm. it can totally be done. But there has to be some nutrition principles there. Mm. So I'm quite prescriptive when I'm saying these sorts of things. And mm-hmm. there's certain things that I'd like people to do with their diet to manipulate that. It's not that you're on diet, but there has to be boundaries mm. to achieve what you want to achieve. And by doing that as a byproduct, you're going to be in the best shape of your life. Mm. It's it just that's that's the way the human body works. So mm. why wouldn't you want to do that? And to feel proud of that, to feel successful in the way that you're keeping up those things every day in life, won't only just reflect on the scales. There'll be so many other markers in your life that you'll start to see positive change in. So exactly. your mood is going to stabilize. Mm. Your energy is going to be much better. Mm-hmm. You're going to tackle your work in a completely different light, the same way you tackle the gym. So mm. I say transfer those principles that you put and invest towards your health, towards your body, all those sorts of wonderful things, and see the ripple effect as it transcends across the rest of your life. Because I honestly believe that you cannot be the best version of yourself if your health is not there. So you need to do the groundwork, you need to put the right foods in, and you need to move. Plain and simple. Mm. I 100% agree with you, Ange. And and being the best version of yourself doesn't necessarily mean that you have a six-pack, guys. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're overweight, underweight, normal weight. I think the biggest thing that Ange and I are trying to get across to everybody is that there's no perfect weight and there's no perfect body type and there's no perfect body fat percentage. I mean, people come to me and they're so obsessed. They're like, I want to get under 20% body fat. I want to get to 15% body fat. And I say, like, what does that mean? Or what would that mean to you if you did that? Why don't you just try and improve your health overall like how are you sleeping how are your bowels working how are your energy levels day to day i think as a nation we're so obsessed with body composition and body fat we forget about our overall general health would you agree with that absolutely and exactly Mm. like what i said it's it's a byproduct it really is as a result of doing all those wonderful things that we know we should be doing Mm -hmm. we know we all should be looking at you know ways in which we can sleep better we know we need to be focused on our gut health to make sure that that's creating the best immunity, the best environment for us to to pursue everything else that we do within our lifestyle as well. So if you don't have your health, what do you have? Yeah. So exactly. you need to focus on that first and then support your performance, make sure that you're fueling your exercise rather mm-hmm. than removing food away from it. So really complementing what you're doing in the gym with food. Mm-hmm. And as a byproduct, let just your body composition just be whatever it is. And I can guarantee you, if you just focused on the behaviors and the habits, you're going to end up a much happier person anyway because weight doesn't equal happiness. There's so many other things that we need to look at and realise that they're our wins more so than just what the scales are reflecting back on us. I love that. And um, we're running out of time for this podcast today, but I'm going to, I've got quite a few listener questions that they wrote in. So we're just going to do a second podcast. I'm going to fire you some questions that people have written in. But finally, um, you've given us so much great information to think about today. So thank you, Ange. But I just wanted to finish with, if there was one top tip that you just wanted everybody to know when it comes to weight loss and just health in general, even the things that you see day to day, what's the biggest thing that you want to leave our listeners as a big take? home message i i want you to do an exercise i want you to get up tomorrow morning and i want you just to observe the thought that goes through your head either when you look at yourself in the mirror or when you step on that scale 
because what you tell yourself is what you will become. Mm. So thoughts are exactly how you see yourself. They are the stories. They are so powerful. Mm. They are the stories that you tell yourself. Mm. You need to really be the observer and be conscious of the story that it is happening and running on replay in your head. Mm. Because once you acknowledge that, once you become aware of it, then you can change your emotion so you can change your thoughts simply by changing your thoughts you change your emotion and your emotions are going to dictate your behaviors mm. so is that going to become or push you to become the better version of yourself or is it taking it away from you so just i'm very keen and i think all of I you are going that. to be really keen to figure out what it is that you're saying to yourself because those messages right now what you do now is going to determine your future self mm. you are here because of the habits that were preceding what you did to get here and now if we want to talk about self-improvement we need to watch what we're saying to ourselves, that inner mean girl, that mm. inner dialogue. Mm. And we need to reframe that because, once again, if you feel good about yourself, that's only going to result in a positive change. So mm. be aware. I love that. Thank you so much, Ange, for coming on the podcast today. I'm sure our listeners got so much out of this today. Um, where can we find you, Ange, is probably the final thing. So if people want to yeah. work with you, if they want to follow you on social media, where, where can our listeners find you today? Yeah, so I'm not, uh, I have to admit, I'm not great on uh, social media, but I do try. Um, <laughs> I'm not up to your standard, Leanne. Um, but on Instagram, my Instagram handle is iPerformance underscore nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I have a private practice called iPerformance Nutrition. So we've got a website um, of the same name. And um, yeah, you can email me at Angie at iPerformanceNutrition.com.au. Great. And, and if someone's listening from, say, I don't know, Brazil or even from somewhere in Melbourne, I know you're Brisbane-based, can you still work with them? Do you take clients interstate and internationally? 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, I definitely consult to um, particularly athletes overseas. They mm-hmm. really like us Aussies. I think we're the best at what we do, sports dietitians. <laughs> um, so, yeah, definitely. I, I have access to, to doing remote um, consultations. Um, the only thing would be, uh, I guess, body composition measures, so skin folds, but we can work around that i've had plenty of international clients where i've set them up and we can monitor um, their physical changes through other means as well but yeah i can definitely do that for sure all right guys so that is angelique clark at i performance nutrition get in touch with me or angie if you want to know anything more or have any further questions about today's podcast thank you for tuning in and we will catch you in the next one